This podcast is sponsored by Focus Hope. The views, beliefs, and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or other participants do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Focus Hope, nor do they necessarily reflect or represent the official policies of Focus Hope. Thank you. In this episode, we talk about topics such as anxiety, depression, suicide, and other mental health challenges that may be sensitive or triggering. We advise you to proceed listening with caution. Hope Speaks, a podcast unifying the communities of Metro Detroit. Welcome to Season 1, Maturish, where we educate the boomers, zoomers, and everyone in between. We're your hosts, Asma and Jess. Welcome back to our podcast, Maturish. We hope you all enjoyed our last episode, Trendy-ish, and took our very needed advice to not bring back low-rise jeans. Yes, today's episode will be stable-ish, and we're going to have a mental health talk. So before we get into it, we want to introduce you guys to our special guest, Julie. And Julie is a therapist throughout Detroit, and let's just get into some of the work she does with the community. Julie, is there anything you want to share with all the listeners about what you do? Sure, sure, sure. My name is Julie Weatherhead. I have a counseling business called Weathervane. Everybody needs a little direction sometimes. Get it? <laughs> you get it? You got to keep it light when it's heavy. But um, So I identify as a community counselor as well as a grief counselor or a grief doula. And so I work with folks one-on-one. Um, And I also like to do community engagement and community collaboration with people in the city of Detroit and around the city to just bring um, mental wellness and mental health to the forefront of what we're talking about and engaging with. So you told us you're not from Detroit, right? Right. So um, what really brought you here? What draw? Uh, Grad school brought me here, actually. When I, yeah, I got my master's in counseling at Wayne State University in 2007. And so once I came, I could not leave. (laughs) (laughs) I I did, um, I got my master's in counseling and I specialize in school counseling. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting my first job. I knew I wanted to live in different places. Um, I thought I knew I would want to come back to Detroit, but I took my first job out in Colorado. Mm -hmm. But even then, I would come back in the summers, and I would work with youth in the city um, pretty much every summer. And so it was really confusing to a lot of people I had met in the community. They're like, do you live here, though? And I was like, yeah, kind of in the summers, you know. I would come back and stay connected to the people that I met within my counseling program and um, just the people that I got to work with and live around. So, yeah, since about 2007, I've been in and out of the city. Oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, and you mentioned you used to do, like, therapy with students in schools. Yeah. And you work a lot with the, like, you, like, people our age, like me and Jasmine. Yeah. So did you ever, like, find something, because you said you were, like, drawn to Detroit. Did you ever, like, find something different about the community here that, like, you needed, that you saw, like, you needed to be here and you needed to help people? Like, what did you think was something we were facing that you wanted to people overcome here? Mm, I don't know if it was overcoming. The thing that kept me in Detroit was the people um, who are just genuine and authentic and very real, right? 
So if anything, Detroit was a healing place for me (laughs) as well as like, you know, me being able, I'm very much a neighbor person, right? I grew up um, downriver and very close with my neighbors, you know, not really big houses, but you know, your neighborhood, you knew the kids in the neighborhood, you played together. And so Detroit very much has a block culture, right? Mm -hmm. And so the schools that I worked at um, while I was in Michigan I worked out in the suburbs, but some of them had students from Hamtramck. They had students from Detroit, um, Dearborn, Warren. And then also I worked um, with Hamtramck High School for a little bit too. And so, yeah, I I don't say I stayed in Detroit to fix or, you know, anything, but mostly mm-hmm. to be nurtured and continue to like grow and build what I saw happening already um, because Detroiters again, are just the realists. And also young people are the realists. (laughs) (laughs) They see you pretty quickly, right? Yeah. They haven't had to deal with a lot of the game playing yet that maybe sometimes adults feel like they have to engage with, right? Especially when it comes to social relations. I think you guys um, get exposed to that in school. And I would talk to my students a lot about like, okay, this teacher is maybe a boss that you don't get along with very well. How can we authentically be in relationship, right? Yeah. Versus saying, like, F this, Mm -hmm. I'm out, checking out (laughs) completely, or, you know, like, totally distracting and and kind of preying upon people's emotional, you know, because adults have emotional triggers and things that they need to work on as well. And Mm so um, I really like working with youth because... I feel like sometimes they're better learners than adults or they're they're a little bit more open or they haven't had um, as many pathways kind of like directed in a certain direction, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I really felt honored to work with not only students, but also families too, right? That, you know, accept also the village style of growing up together, right? Like we all are raising each other and learning mm-hmm. from each other. So that was something that was really cool. Like as that well. sense of community, basically. Yeah. 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 And whether it's to do with college stuff or um, post secondary ed, you know, if you telling people about the other options besides college is mm-hmm. a big thing too. And then, you know, um, helping people talk about young people, talk about their their feelings and their emotions in an authentic way and how to care for themselves when maybe there isn't a safe way to talk about their feelings and emotions. So, yeah, I really, I really enjoy working with young folks for sure. So would youth be your favorite, like, age group to work with? Well, probably. <laughs> no, no I, I do love... Um, I love people in all stages of life, especially um, when we talk about grief, right? Mm -hmm. Because grief can be, when when you're hit with different types of grief, when you've had certain relationships with certain people in your life, you all of a sudden, you feel like a baby, right? Everybody has an inner child. Everybody wants sometimes to be held and told it's okay, or just to be told that this is normal. Mm -hmm. Your reactions are very normal, um, for sometimes a very abnormal situation, depending on how that person died. And sometimes a very, you know, normal situation too, if, you know, depending again how they died. But everybody's grief is so different. And mm-hmm. So I would say with grief though, 
um, all ages and with mental health. If anybody who's willing and open to like engage with self, not just with me, right? Because I'm, I can only do so much. I'm, the words that I like to use is love and accountability. How do you want to love yourself? How do you want to be accountable to yourself, right? Yeah. To the goals that you determine and that you want to set. And then also, how do you love yourself as in how do you take space to heal or engage with folks that are healing or spaces that are healing? And how can I help you resource those things too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I do feel like a lot of these things you're talking about is stuff that youth are a, a lot more open to than maybe the past generations were in a way. Like, we're always talking about mental health. If you're ever around, like, young people, they always want, like, you know, attention to it. And I know, like, colleges and things like that have been giving mental health days a lot because of the reason um, kids our age have been, like, advocating for that. Yeah. And it's been something that, you know, when we bring it up to, like, administrators or, like, teachers or something, they're always just, like, mental health, like, that's that's not even real. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So it's always something that we're always really passionate about. And I know you worked in the school system. So did you ever, like, see, like, that way that the administration and that school system always tries to, like, in a way, prevent us from, like, healing in a healthy way mentally? Mm, So like I was saying before, adults have stuff too, right? (laughs) And so... You know, they um, get overwhelmed with the responsibilities that they feel like they have or sometimes a little bit overindulgent in what they deem to be important because they have people over their head telling them that it's important too, right? Mm -hmm. It's like this chain of um, uh, hustle and or money too. Sometimes we think we forget about how school... Anyways, I don't want to make too many excuses (laughs) for administrators because um, I've worked with lots of different types of people, right? And so some people have that personal experience and some administrators as a mental health counselors would trust me right away and say, yeah, anything that you want to do, right? Which is what I wanted as a mental health professional, right? I want to be able to um, help translate and bring to the forefront student voice, right? Mm -hmm. And also be able to, to speak in a way, not for you, but to elevate your words when, you know, it feels unsafe to go to administration and talk to them about that, right? That's what I'm supposed to be doing in the schools. And so, um, yeah, it's really, it's been really difficult um, when it comes to mental health, when we talk about anxiety, depression, when we talk about racism that's happening in schools because that affects and impacts our mental health too. Um, Sexism, right? Like the little bullying stuff, quote unquote, that goes on, right? The little cliques. Um, Schools um, can be somewhat of an unsafe space for people, right? Mm -hmm. And so to help schools understand and focus on how do we talk about compassion, empathy, so um, social-emotional learning, I think we were talking in the pre-interview too about how it's um, trendy to talk about mental health, right? Mm -hmm. Like trendy to say like, oh, I'm depressed. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, like you see so many people our age just going saying I have anxiety I have depression like just throwing it out there right and then they're like oh yeah me too (laughs) ha 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 well so these words are coming out right Mm -hmm. people are talking more about it and Mm -hmm. I've come back to the um working in school systems because I've seen a lot of school systems adopting social emotional learning curriculum right and saying and saying this is important 
Yeah. And it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to be about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how are we really going to incorporate this? Restorative practices is another program that schools, you know, play around with by saying, you know, we don't want to punish kids. We want mm-hmm. to... Um, I heard about that. Yeah, we want to address um, and hold accountable, but then also heal, right? Mm-hmm. But again, I think the burnout of educators and administrators of trying to do programs maybe half halfway, like not all the way, right? Or maybe we'll have one speaker come in and talk about anxiety and, okay, we checked the box that we talked about anxiety. Um, and then going back to kind of with students, how you guys were saying that it could be trendy to say, I'm so depressed. I'm so anxious. Like, I'm depressed. Um, when I was in the schools, I remember just kind of like, you know, just trying to be somebody to reflect with and say, you know, okay, like, are you feeling depressed? Are you having depressive, you know, are you having a bout of depression, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we do go through stages in our life where we're like, it is hard to get out of bed, right? Yeah. Um, what are the different levels of those feelings and emotions and how does it minimize it when you throw it out there? And that's that compassion and empathy for others, right? And that, And kind of just being aware of, the power that words have. Mm-hmm. I feel like overall culture, like pop culture, has really like l- pushed a lot of kids to feel that way to make it feel like it's like a trend, like cool to be, oh, to say you're depressed and like belittle belittle it in a way. Yeah. Like um, they use it in a like usually I see a lot of people just kind of throw it out there like a way to like cop out like if they done if they've done something wrong or something, they would just throw it out there and use that as a, as a way to just like basically like save themselves and like not get canceled (laughs) but you know then again I think that is a huge factor but then I think there are some people who are like genuinely being honest with it and like me myself I'm the type of person who laughs something off or who may joke about something to feel better about something so I feel like some people may do it out of the way they cope with something but some people aren't as genuine as others so it's like a hard mm-hmm. it's like a scale yeah, you never yeah. know who's actually dealing with it yeah I feel like that's a like a strong thing that a lot of people need to think about but then a lot of people don't quite know how to approach I know like so many people in my school like will literally tell you like in all seriousness that they like they, they have depression or they have anxiety um but then it's you always also see that they don't um want to get help or get like resources, if that makes sense. Um, it's more. It's usually like a self-diagnosis, and you know sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. But you know, have you ever like worked with kids like that that like just didn't want the help and were just kind of like just okay with how they were? Um, I feel like a lot of young people want help, but they have a blockage maybe in their. Uh, family or the adult that would have to sign off on them receiving that help. And so they might internally know that as well, right? And so like that's also sometimes a protective thing of like, you know, like, no, I can't. Um, But there's also many adults too who who know that they have some feelings, right? I have some really strong feelings. It's preventing me from living my best life. but I don't know if I have the time or the money, right, or the transportation or the insurance um, 
it's really difficult to think about the barriers that are presented and us receiving mental health support and wellness. Um, yeah. So I think that the thing that I find sometimes that is really hard for people is they don't want to dig deeper to what, um, they don't have the words, maybe don't want saying don't want is a big thing. But um, emotional intelligence is a really big thing, right? Like, how do we learn? Like, we have, you know, you're really intelligent in math. You're really intelligent in science. Um, you're physically intelligent, right? You're LeBron James, Duncan, people. You're musically intelligent. You're Day Dilla, you know. You're, you're making beats out of nowhere. And then there's also this emotional and social intelligence, right? And you might be born with it, and then you might also be taught it right? And where does it come from? So sometimes when people are saying I'm depressed and I'm anxious, sometimes I try to, um, there's this awesome thing called the wheel of emotions that I used all the time in school with my young people and with adults, you know, maybe sometimes when they're overwhelmed and like, they're like, I can't even speak. Like, I don't have the words. I'm just upset. I'm angry or whatever. And I would slide over this little wheel to them and be like, Hey, you know, maybe try to point, maybe try to circle these other words, you know, what are the multitude of emotions and feelings that are happening right now? How can we identify them, right? And know that it's not just one thing that's happening for you right now. Like let's identify your multifaceted and you have lots of emotions and feelings. How can we accept those feelings, identify them, accept them that they're here. And then, yeah, how do we tend to them and care for ourselves um, and let the other parts of ourselves also be present? Right? How do we recognize that even though we're frustrated, we're depressed, we're angry, that maybe joy can still exist in a tiny bit of us as well, right? And then digging deeper into that, and then, you know, it's hard to figure out, is it something, you know, medication is not always the first thing that I would say, like, oh, no, we need to get you on medication. But also, medication can be very helpful, right? And it doesn't mean it's forever, yeah, and um, then connecting them to further resources for me is would be my job, right? Because I can't, I I can't um, prescribe medicine. But yeah, it's kind of just like this investigative internal work, right? Like, how do I identify, accept, you know, and then tend to and care for? Mm -hmm. I always saw, I always saw like the biggest struggle was like people accepting that they have a mental health issue. Because, like, some people, especially, like, um, certain people from certain backgrounds and demographics, like, they've always kind of seen therapy, for example, as, like, a white thing. Mm -hmm. And not as in just something that faces, that everyone faces, that can be within anyone. Like, they don't see it as, like, a medical illness, but more as a something, like, you do to yourself or, like, you're just being, like, self-deprecating or you're just being, like, you know, just not realistic, like, get up and do something. Like, that's always kind of, like, what they say as a solution. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I told my parents I was depressed in college. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to go do things, right? You need to busy yourself, right? And a lot oh, yeah. of us do busy our brains, right? So we forget about our internal yeah, emotions that, and feelings. That's like really detrimental in the end that you just yeah. like set it aside. Does it go away, right? It just builds up. Yeah. yeah. 
and then pops out in some ways that are pretty undesirable, right? I had a really rough year my first year of college. It was actually my grief. A lot of it was my grief that I never dealt with. So my brother died when I was 13 years old, very suddenly in the home with me and my mom. And it was terrible, really terrible. It still is a terrible thing that happened. And, um, you know, I'm Arab-American, and my mom is, you know, from a Syrian culture, and that, you know, again, like, that was something that was hard to think about, but they, we could tell that the trauma had impacted me, right? So in that situation, there was trauma, and then there was grief. Yeah. And so the trauma was impacting me, and luckily, luckily, <laughs> we had family friends, right, who they knew, you know, that they could reach out to and that they trusted, right, because it was family friends, because it's somebody I know right? Which is more the village style, right? I don't even know if we paid them for the work that they did with me and my mom around the trauma. Because again, that's just looking around your village and being like, okay, who is good at this and who can help me? You know, that was how that trust factor happened. Um, but the grief was unresolved. And sure enough, that popped right back up, you know, when I had time to think about it, when I wasn't busy, 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 and in my parents' home, you know, I was off to Michigan State, and people thought it was partying, and, you know, that's an easy way to say it, right? Like, oh, yeah, you know, just got too wild, right, or, you know, or whatever. But, you know, it was really some depression, for sure, that showed up in a really interesting, tricky way. Yeah, I get that. Um, my freshman year of high school, um, a close friend of ours, who was a really, like, very important person to, like, our school, um, committed suicide. Mm -hmm. It was, like on exam days mm -hmm. so it was like they announced it at like the beginning of the day because they thought it would be rude to like just go the whole day without telling us something like that so it was like you could really see the effect it really made on everyone how grief really took everyone because no one wanted to take exams no one wanted to do work right it was like the last day of school mm. basically and you wanted to basically you know, have fun, take your tests, go about your day and, like, start your summer off. But then it's, like, no one could really get to that point of starting summer because we just lost someone so near and dear to all of us. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, it was it was like a really, like, reality check for a lot of us because, and even our teachers, because seeing, like, teachers, like, crying and bawling out, like some of the students, was like really surprising because you're like, this person really didn't only impact me the way they impacted all these other people. And then it got to a point where teachers were like, you know, just put the pencils down and, you know, because like some, there was, there was students who were in class like just crying, taking exams. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not going to lie, I was one of those students mm -hmm. because it was like, he was really close to all of us. And it was crazy because you didn't think because he was just smiling and happy, and he was just walking around with all of us the day before, eating lunch and making other people laugh, making sure other people aren't sad. Then you go to school the next day and figure out this person isn't here anymore. So it's like, how did this just happen? It was, it was really crazy, because then you hear teachers saying, if you're struggling, you can go sit in the library, and there's teachers there who like were majoring in psychology and therapy and stuff, were there to help out and stuff. And a lot of teachers just exempted exams and stuff because 
it's like it was one thing if it was like just one person who was like you know someone mm-hmm. who was had a few friends, but he was like friends with everyone. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a really tough thing, and that's where you could really see that grief took over yeah. on a lot of people because no one was really expecting this, and it seemed like he seemed like one of the happiest people to yeah. to know. He seemed like everything was so good on the surface, and then it makes you think that things are so yeah like wicked underneath and that's when my school really took a lot of time with teaching mental health and Mm -hmm. getting people to come talk to us and like just really expanding out on that yeah emotional learning thing yeah good good and you know yeah that's the part of it right where I've asked schools sometimes if they want to do SEL like social emotional learning or and they're like, no, we don't need that. And I'm like, I think we all need that. <laughs> like yeah. something's going to come and that some, something's going to come and it's going to be difficult. And it's like the more tools we have to understanding how to hold space for ourselves, how to, you know, process or how to make, make space is the biggest thing, right? You need to make space first so you can have the space to process what's happening. But yeah. um, I also wanted to go back to when you said that, um, you know, you never know what's happening in somebody's life, right? This person yeah. was very bright and um, cheerful and things like that. And I heard you say um, committed suicide, but that's something that in the mental health field, something that we're trying to help change the language around is died by suicide. Oh, really? Yeah, because when you think about it, right, like... You don't commit. Yeah, yeah did this person... Yeah, did, they make it seem like it's like, like a crime, like commit. yeah. Yeah, and they might have been really sick, right? Like, that's a a really terrible, terrible outcome of an illness. Um, It's kind of along the same lines of where addiction is an illness, right? Mm -hmm. And when, um, this is something, too, that was interesting. A cousin of mine, I was talking to them yesterday. We were talking about postpartum depression. And he was using the words, like, um, yeah, you know, when it's, it's it's not psychological, it's physiological, and I stopped him for a second, and I was like, but psychological is physiological. Our brain is a part of our body, right? Yeah. <laughs> like our hormones, and mm-hmm. we separate the two a lot, and it makes it easier for us to push off mental health is something that's not really a part of our whole entire body that we can't um, contribute to in positive ways by the things that we eat, the way we move our body, the people we surround ourselves with. Yeah. Like, this space we're in now, a beautiful mental health, mental wellness space, right? There's Mm -hmm. garden down there for you to interact with. There's, you know, community all around. There's pictures of community flashing on the screen in front of us, you know, Mm -hmm. to like. But, um, yeah, so understanding that, like, um, we get sick. Just like we get sick with a cold, we can get sick with some sadness or Mm -hmm. we can have an event happen to us that was happened when we were young that pops back up because we didn't really deal with it right so the way we deal with other things are impacted and so just like um a broken leg can heal um wrong right sometimes our our brain doesn't heal in the best way possible so we might need to go back and correct you know and try to think about what's the best way you know that I can try to help um get back into a zone of safety, right? Because a lot of our time, too, our body and our brain, we're trying to keep ourselves safe. So whether that reaction comes out 
in a lot of different ways, whether it comes out really big and angry and, and scary. You know, there was something in there and that happened to us most likely that told us that was the way to keep you safe, right? Um, or if it comes being withdrawn and like, you know, and, and, and exiting the situation, you know, they call it fight or flight and all that yeah. stuff. So, so yeah, there's, there's so much, but yeah. like what you were saying about how, um, people that usually go through the, go through these like mental issues, they're never seen as victims, but more like people they've like inflicted this upon themselves. Like it's their own fault and they're blamed for it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, I see a lot in, like, my Arab culture, um, you know, to even, like, talk about mental health is kind of it's seen as a weakness. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so, like, a lot of people I, I'm surrounded by are, like, immigrants. So they came to America from an Arab country, and they've, you know, they've seen a lot of horrible things. You know, they've seen war, they've mm-hmm. lost family, et cetera, and everything. So everything since they were born until even now, it's always been, like, a survival kind of instinct, the way they live it's always just like provide for your family, provide for yourself. Like that's all you think about, mm-hmm. and then, and that's how you deliver love too. Sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I provide for you, therefore I love you. Yeah, yep. that emotional hug, love stuff. We mm-hmm. don't, you know. They always kind of see it as like <laughs> that's a side. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's always they're always like rushed. Like there's not enough. Um, there's not enough time, like, there's, like, a time limit or something, they need to hurry up and, like, provide as much as they can, when, like, they haven't even seen, like, they're living comfortably now, like, they would, they're living comfortably, they're, like, they have stable income coming in and things like that, but there's still that mindset, still in that, like, survival mode. Sure. And, like, I know a lot of people from my community, like, I know a lot of people, um, that have, like, they grew up in these Arab countries, like Lebanon, and were married at... 19 like right when they graduated from high school you know got married to someone they barely knew because Mm -hmm. that was just how it was back Mm -hmm. then yeah and then they moved across the world to a different country with a completely different culture didn't know the language didn't know anything Mm because if you compare those two countries it's completely different i mean over here there's like electricity 24 7 like Mm -hmm. that's not even something they have over there um and you're just kind of alone you don't have family anymore you don't have anybody you don't know anybody here and you're just alone and then that takes a toll on all of them. But they don't understand that they're dealing with a mental illness or a mental Ill- issue at that time because they've never been, they don't even know what that is. Right. There's no, there's lack of education. Yeah. And I know I've seen like these people. Or exposure. Have, yeah. Like have had kids and have grown, et cetera. And like, especially postpartum depression. Like I've seen that a lot. And mm-hmm. um, people are always very quick to blame that person for like the way they feel. Because like that person on their own, they don't even like, they don't even know what they're feeling. They don't even know how to describe it because they were never taught to, like, admit to that mm-hmm. or see that that's an, that's an issue. And so people all around them would just be like, like, why are you basically an attention seeker in a way? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you being so weak? Like, like get up, do something. Like, we're, we're all worried about, like, providing and surviving and working and you're just worried about and you're just crying and things like that. And it's just kind of a stop crying and get up. And it's just like, well... It's more than that. It's an actual physical um, illness that you can't just, like, tell someone to do that. And then when – this is why it's so hard for them to seek help because first people, like, like belittle them for it. They patronize them, make them feel like babies for it. Make them think they're wrong. Yeah, and then when they go out to, like, to get that help, finally nobody's on their side. And, like, I've seen – ever so rarely do you ever see someone actually get help, but, like, thankfully people I do see get help um, that have, like – done therapy 
are medicated, have like been on different medications, like literally all my life I've known them in this way. Um, they're still like working on it. They're still not in a good place because they don't have a community around them that supports them. And it's just mental health is just laughed at. Like that don't even bring it up. Like that's for that's for white people, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not for like these strong like immigrants, which really that's really who that's who faced it the most because they've seen all the and dealt with all the trauma and have had like those intense moments and um, issues. You know that makes me think about how um, more adult figures look at teens and they think of stress not being stress. Mm-hmm. Like if a student is to say, yeah. like, oh, these AP classes and these things are stressing me out. And you voice that to them, they're like, then drop it. Then don't yeah, do it if oh you can't do it. And it's like, you think, it, it makes me think that adults in that situation only think the only solution to that is giving up mm-hmm. or like quitting, which doesn't set a good tone for anyone in youth. Like, yeah. you're basically telling a youth, someone who's younger, to give up and quit because they're struggling. Instead of telling them to persevere and you got it mm-hmm. and you'll get through it. So I never really understand why they do that to youth because it's like yeah. you're setting this tone of telling them to quit. Mm-hmm. So then in the future, if they quit and they do these things and you're like disappointed about it, how can you be disappointed if initially you're teaching them to just quit on things that are too hard for them? I feel like they're so hypocritical. Like, hypocritical. Like, yeah, don't you see like everyone? Like, our school systems have just become, like, competitions. Yeah. Like, whoever's, like, they push and push you. Like, whoever's the smartest, that's, like, you're measured based on that. Your measure of success, your measure of worth is based on how smart you are and how much you will provide to society, quote-unquote, like, how what college you go to, what you do, what you pursue. And they put all this pressure in the, all these different APs, all these different classes you can take to, like, get ahead and beat everybody. And then, obviously, all these kids are starting to, like... um have these mental health issues and are in dark places and they just like again they ignore it because they just feel like because they just feel like it's a joke and they're not actually facing these problems even though they're being pressured by these people um yeah so that's just another way the education system yeah and I want to comment too on like how you said the stress of um younger folks versus the generation that's above you right Mm -hmm. that might be helping raise you the access to information that you guys have about what's really real and what's really going down in the world, that's stressful. (laughs) You know, to be able to, um, you know, look at the news or check your phone or a lot of education comes through TikTok or Instagram of social issues, I find too, right? And awareness. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're just looking at stuff that's all fun and funny. Sometimes you're looking at some really serious shit (laughs) that you're like, wow, this is happening out there and I got to get an A in AP bio right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's something really important too for um, adults to kind of recognize about what is it like to be. And that's something I always try to learn about from the young people that I work Mm -hmm. with is like, I don't know what it's like to be 17 in 2021. You know, tell Mm -hmm. me, let me know. So we can figure out how do we manage this space? How do we care for ourselves? How do we advocate for ourselves? You know, and come together. And if it is systemic, right? It's like, yeah. how does the, how do we advocate for more school counselors? Right? I mean, how many? Like we know about class sizes and you yeah. know, and caseloads for school counselors. There's 
in Colorado where I used to live because of Columbine and a lot of the school shootings that had happened, they started to dedicate a lot more resources to mental health in schools, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. So not only were there school counselors, there were school psychologists on on campus, right? Mm-hmm. And so you didn't have to worry about transportation. You didn't have to worry about, you know, your insurance and everything. And so how do we make schools more community spaces, you know, to yeah. for places of trust where people can engage in mental wellness? And the earlier we teach people, that's why I like you too, yeah. the earlier we learn about mental health and how it's normal to mm-hmm. have a counselor. It's amazing to have a counselor <laughs> and to have somebody who's like non-biased, who's there for you and listening and, you know, just on your squad, um, the better. That's why I like working with young people too. About like, um, schools and, um, generations, like when we see our parents, um, have a hard time dealing with mental illness and mental health, that's, it affects the kids because, um, I know a lot of students like my age, um, go back and forth between like, you know, Lebanon, America, or wherever, maybe overseas, and have, like, moved back and forth. Yeah. So the culture shock, that, or, or even when they, like, move to college and go away mm-hmm. and leave, like, their bubble of a community surrounded by people that share their identity, they have that really, really intense culture shock that is always really detrimental. Like, I know people um, that were, like, moving around when they were, like, you know, four years old until they were in high school, and then they get here, and they've gone back and forth, like, three times. Um, and now they don't know how to... They don't have friends in either places. They don't have a community in either place because, you know, in America, they're laughed at. They're laughed at because they have an accent, so they're think they're thought of as like inferior, like they're stupid, quote unquote. And um, and then when they're in, if they're in like an Arab country, they're seen as oh, like you're American, and yeah. they laugh at you. Diver- so there's no like place for them. Sure, I- acceptance of diverse identities, right? Yeah. Which is in a lot of different cultures, too, of like, you know, you're not enough this, you're not enough that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you don't know how to cook. Oh, you don't know how to speak that language, or you speak this way. Or, yeah, that's a really big, difficult thing. Yeah, and these kids, um, I know a lot of them that have, like, had to deal with that, and because they're now here, kids don't want to befriend them because they're seen as different. And they're automatically thought of as, like, stupid. But at the same time, usually when this happens, if they're a certain age or have, like... So let's say in, like, Lebanon or something, they passed the fifth grade and they came here. They'll make them go to, like, the third grade or, like, the fourth grade because they're just, again, seen as, like, not smart. And right, because like, the probably, English language yeah. skills, yeah. They're like, you probably didn't learn everything you were supposed to. So now they're with all these kids that are younger than them and that these kids, again, also feel like they're better than them. And they feel isolated. And I know all these, a lot of these kids, like, to this day are still in special ed classes mm-hmm. because they they have a lot of um, mental issues now because of the environment they're in. Mm-hmm. And now they, ha- they have, like, self-harm issues mm-hmm. and um, also, like, medicated and, like, have, like, a lot of um, medical help. And it's, like, very serious for them. But obviously these schools just take them out and put them in special ed. And sure. make them feel like there's something wrong with them. And then that just makes it so much worse. And they're separated from these students and, like, laughed at by them. Because, again, they're just made to feel that they are less than them. And it's really bad. And it's, like, really um, detrimental to everybody in the community. Yeah, most definitely. And that speaks to the lack of resources within the school, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody might know that... This probably shouldn't be happening, mm-hmm. but maybe they don't have the FTE 
whatever, the money to hire another person to really give people the attention that they deserve and that they need, right? To to stabilize, to um, understand who you yeah. are and how beautiful and smart and amazing you are. Um, yeah, that's a really, it's a really large issue. Yeah, I feel like those are like, they're critical moments, like when, at that young age and when they yeah. don't get that help. Yeah. That's like what puts them into those um, mental health issues and gives them that trouble like mm -hmm. by not supporting them that's what hurts them yeah yeah i think you have very 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 valid points and i think that everyone after listening to this and stuff should ask themselves if you are really okay and ask yourself what resources you can use to help yourself overcome these emotions that you're having if you have any that are not the most positive even if you think that these emotions are not as serious as they are, anything you feel is serious enough and should be accounted for. So with that, you guys should really take a look into what resources and things you have available that can help you overcome these emotions that you're facing. Absolutely. There's, um, there is resources too. So there's something in Wayne County that they created called a warm line. Have you ever heard of that before? So there's a hotline. You guys have heard of hotlines, right? Yeah. So hotlines 24-7. You can text. You can call. So this is if you're feeling at a really elevated or low state, right, where you're like, I need to talk to somebody. This doesn't feel right. I need help. I need support. So you can call these 24-hour hotlines or you can text. Um, in Wayne County, they also created something called a warm line. And a warm line is just, I guess, a level down, quote unquote, from the hotline. Um, what I like the, about the idea of this warm line is that it's local. So say your family has been going through the floods for the third time, right? Yeah. And this is an extra localized stress that's putting, being put upon you. And you need somebody to talk to about your own feelings because you see your family stressed out. Blah, blah, blah. So... You, engaging with the warm line is also a really great um, way. And it's only open, I want to say, from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m., I think. So it's a little bit more limited on time. But those are two resources. Um, there's also quizzes that you can take to try to sell, start to identify what am I feeling. Um, looking at those feelings wheel. If you just look up feelings wheel, <laughs> that's a really great tool for communication. Yeah. And then also breathing. Yeah. You guys, I mean, you guys breathe? <laughs> no, I guess. Because I know people always say, you know, every time I go into a Zoom, someone's always just like, okay, guys, we're doing our mindfulness activity and we're going to take our breaths. But I'm like, I don't have time for that. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> you better. Because that's oxygen, okay? Yeah. So how are you supposed to operate if you're not really feeding yourself the yeah. basics, which is water and oxygen, some good food, hopefully yeah. some fruit. And some vegetables. Get one of those little cheap smooth, you know, ninjas, little smoothies or what bullets or whatever. <laughs> but breathing. It's Everyone take a breath the game. on the call. Tell me about your breath. How do you breathe? What do you So I have this thing on my Apple Watch. It's mm -hmm. like it tells me like when you can like stand up if you've been sitting down too long. Or it just like tells me to breathe if I'm like my heart rate might be elevated or something. 
Yeah, so there's lots of apps out there. The Calm app, you know, is one of them. Um, some of them are free. Some of them charge for different levels of things. But um, breathing was a game changer for me, right? Like, because my stress sits in my body. It sits in my my shoulders and everything like that. But you can actually send oxygen to different parts of your body, right? To, like, loosen up your body a little bit. So, yeah. Breathing. Do you want to do a breath? Okay, we can do okay. a breath. <laughs> and then we can, I don't All right. Everybody put, you know, get in a comfortable seat. Okay. You too, Joe. Joe is our editor, recorder, producer. <laughs> and you can close your eyes or you can keep them open. And we're going to breathe in through our nose. We're going to hold it for four. We're going to breathe in with four, hold it for four, breathe out in four. On the count of three, breathe in through your nose. One, two, three. Hold it for four. And breathe out. Go as slow as you can. Do it again. And hold it. And breathe out. And breathe normal. And stretch. Do what you need to do. But taking those little breathing breaks, you do have time for it. You can do it in bed before you go to sleep, right? Hand on your heart, hand mm -hmm. on your tummy. You're signaling to your body to calm down, right? And your brain, right? That slow breath. Just like when you sprint, you're like, let's get hype. You know, like, <laughs> the other way can work too. So, yeah. Hopefully, everyone got something out of this episode and will be more open to receiving help if you're someone that needs it or be more accepting to those who are looking for that kind of help. So, Julie, thank you for being with us here today. If you want to give any last words, some things you want to see um, come out of people around the community of just how they deal with mental health? No, I mean, just keep an eye out because I feel like as mental health is a trendy thing, you know, I think there are a lot of great events that are happening, but what is mental health to you? Ask that question to yourself as well. Is mental health to you going to see some live music and sitting down and being quiet and breathing? Is mental health to you engaging in your spirituality, not using it as the one and only tool for mental health, right? But sometimes going to church or going to um, be within yourself and whoever you pray to or whoever you connect with, going outside, feeling the ground, like going for a nature walk, which is, again, something that a lot of us are not familiar with, mm -hmm. but even putting your feet in the grass, right? Yeah, touch the grass, you know, or go lay down and look at the sky, Again, like, what are your self-care modes that put you in a calm, good state? And then also, you know, check out those, the hotline and the warm line too, right? Um, for connection to more deeper resources. Yeah. Yes. Thank you again so much, Julie, for coming in today. And thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. We gladly appreciate you all for coming. You can stay connected with us on email, generationofpromise at gmail.com, and Insta at Focus Hope. Also on our TikTok, Focus Hope. Thank you for listening, and hopefully you guys can all take care of yourselves and stay safe.
Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Maturage, a safe space for youth to talk about their ish. Come back for more rants and diverse insights. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Focus Hope, a Detroit-based nonprofit pledging intelligent and practical action to overcome racism, poverty, and injustice. If you or someone you know is in need of support or assistance, a group of our Generation of Promise friends created a website full of mental health resources that youth, teachers, and parents can visit at edjusticegroup.wixsite.com. You can also call the Michigan Department of Human Services peer-run warm line at 888-733-7753 and the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255.